welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 57, Adamon Diamond. Well, I am back from France. Last week, you guys got to hear an episode where I remembered literally, actually 15 minutes before I had to be in the car to drive away to the airport to record an episode. And I was actually pretty pleased with that episode. I, I listened to it like five days later, like I literally posted it and didn't listen to it until it had already been posted for like five days. And I was telling my friend, I'm like, I don't even know if that was good. But then I listened to it and I was like, man, that turned out great. And so if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go listen to it. It's a little bit of a shorter one, which sometimes I prefer. Sometimes I like a longer podcast and sometimes it's just kind of nice to get it in a little bite-sized piece. So go listen to that if you haven't yet. Um, If you are not following me on Instagram, please do that just so that you can get to know me a little bit better personally. I never, especially if you're listening to me weekly, want to be just this uh, voice that's preaching at you and you never get to see a more human side of of uh, the person who's talking to you. So go follow me there. It's come follow me underscore with free. All right. So let's get started. So this week, it, come follow me section is 115 to 120. And we are going to talk about one that I feel like probably most other come follow me podcasts probably wouldn't focus on. Um, but it's a topic that I just think is so cool. We are going to talk about Adam on Diamond. So section 116 is the shortest section. It's literally one verse. It says, Spring Hill is named by the Lord Adam on Diamond because, said he, it is the place where Adam shall come visit his people, or the Ancient of Days shows it as spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So cool little side fact. There's a lot of debate within Christianity about what the Ancient of Days spoken of by the prophet Daniel even means. But here we learn that the ancient of days, meaning like the oldest man, is Adam. So kind of cool. My purpose here today is going to be to refresh your memory on the past of the location Adam on Diamond, talk about the history of it in the context of the beginning of the restored church, and also about the grand, incredible, mind-blowing future it has. Let's start a little bit with church history. Joseph Smith had been referencing a place called Adam on Diamond for three years previous to this revelation. And every once in a while, I just like to think about how on earth would Joseph Smith have come up with this? Like, think about the name Adam on Diamond. That doesn't even sound like English. It sounds like from a different time, from a different language. And I, it's such a weird name. So why would he ever come up with a name like that? How he would he come up with a name like that? And to me, it sounds like a word that is ancient and that the Lord might have come up with. Eh? In researching all of this, I also started going a little bit into the book of Moses. And in the book of Moses, I think starting in chapter six, chapter five, one of those, um, we start having a little excerpt from the what's called the book of Enoch. Um, and that is a book that has been referenced throughout the history of Christianity and There is a lot of, this is not something I'm an expert on, so I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail, but there is a lot of, and has been a lot of chatter for for thousands of years about if the book of Enix exists, if it's credible, all those things. And then there's, there's some stuff that's been found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, but the most detailed account of, of Adam that we have is in the book of Moses. And from what I'm reading and from what I understand 
the an excerpt of the book of Enos, which Moses would have had access to, is within the book of Moses. So that's pretty cool. I'm going to dig more into that. The reason I bring it up is I just want to encourage you guys to really dig into some of these interesting topics like the book of Enoch and learning about what Christianity in general thinks about the book of Enoch and how much detail we've been given and then how the book of Enoch as we have it within Moses or at least a portion of it lines up with what's been found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's just really interesting. Not Again, not an expert, so I'm not going to try and talk like I am, but something, an interesting subject for you to go into if you feel like it. All right, so back to Joseph Smith. So he'd been talking about this place called Adam on Diamon for about three years. Alexander L. Baugh, who is or was the chairman of the Department of Church History and Doctrine at BYU, said this, In at least three instances, the prophet received revelatory explanations or information regarding Adam on Diamon. The first of these occurred in early 1835 when he learned about the great council meeting held at Adam on Diamon three years previous to Adam's death, in which the primordial Jehovah appeared to Adam and his righteous posterity, which, side note, just for reference for you, we just passed a big hefty section in 107 that is all about that. All right, continuing with Brother Baugh. The second instance occurred in September 1835 when Oliver Cowdery was copying into the Patriarchal Blessing book the Patriarchal Blessing given to Joseph Smith Sr. At the time, the prophet authorized the inclusion of a passage into his father's blessing that indicated Adam was the Ancient of Days spoken of in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament who would appear in the last days to his posterity along with Jesus Christ. The third revelatory occasion came on May 19, 1938, when it was revealed to Joseph Smith that the area known as Spring Hill in Davies County, Missouri, was the ancient location of Adam on Diamond and the place where Daniel's prophecy will take place. So, Adam on Diamond is the place where Adam, as in Adam and Eve, bestowed his final blessing to his posterity. Okay, so we have a few years of history of Adam on Diamond being referenced in Revelation through Joseph Smith, but previous to section 116, the location was unknown. At this point, Joseph Smith and the majority of the saints had moved to far west Missouri, and they had just been commanded to begin preparing building a temple, and they had very specific plans regarding that. The leaders of the church were looking to buy more land to expand the population of the church, and in Caldwell County, the land had already been surveyed and therefore was not available to just claim, work the land, and then be given the first option to purchase it from the, the federal government when it came up for sale. But in Davies County, the land had not yet been surveyed. So therefore, it was available to, to work the land. You basically could move to it, start to work the land, and improve it, and then have the first option to purchase the land when it came up for sale. Church leaders were attracted to this inexpensive land and easy opportunity to to purchase. When they were up in the Spring Hill area, they loved what they saw. They were in awe of this beautiful place with tons of wildlife and water and beautiful sweeping fields. And that is when Joseph received the revelation that this is the place that he had been told about these last few years, Adam on Diamon. They had been told that they would be led to a land flowing with milk and honey, which this land certainly seemed to fit the bill. But not only a place with the ability to support the saints physically, but also a place with some very serious spiritual significance. 
This was exciting to the saints, and they were familiar with this mysteriously long name, Adam on Diamon, due to previous revelations, and also because W.W. Phelps wrote one of the hymns that we have today in our hymn book that was in the original hymn book that Emma Smith compiled called Adam on Diamon. So previous to this revelation, it was already a regular part of what the saints were talking about. In fact, random fun fact, they sang this hymn at the Kirtland Temple dedication. It was also a great reminder to the saints who were understandably feeling a little stressed out due to the contention happening between church leadership and within church finances. Several of the Quorum of the Twelve had apostatized along with the three witnesses of the Book of Mormon who, side note, by the way, never actually denied their testimony of what they saw and heard with Joseph Smith. So all of this led to some uneasiness within the church, and some were thinking about whether this really was even the kingdom of God on earth. This revelation about Adam on Diamond reminded them and still continues to remind us that any one part of the story that we are involved in is a part of a greater comprehensive story of the human family here on earth and that the Lord will accomplish his work in his own due time. And I think it's a great reminder to us that that this whole story about what has happened with Adam on Diamond and, and what we're going to talk about is just a reminder that the church is ultimately a work in progress. The We have been refining our practices and obviously stumbled along in the beginning trying to figure out exactly how this was all supposed to go. But ultimately, that all of this is for our good. It's for, I believe, Anytime I read something in in church history where I'm like, shouldn't it just all work just perfectly because this is the Lord's plan? I think that it was good for the saints at the time. I think it was for their good because we know that everything, every hard thing will work for our good. And I think that some of this, quote, imperfect beginnings help strengthen my faith. Because I have to rely on the fact that I just don't really get everything yet. I don't really quite understand why the church had to stumble along in the beginning, but it did. And it really makes me go back to the root of, do I know that the Book of Mormon is true? Are there a million other indicators that all of this is true and that all of this makes such incredible, miraculous sense? Yes, there are. There is no doubt within my mind. And so I think watching the church stumble at the beginning and and have to work through these hard things where where things aren't working out exactly as you think that they're going to work out and as probably, actually I'm sure, as the saints thought that they were going to work out, it reminds me that they weren't supposed to understand it all right now and neither are we. If we had perfect knowledge of all things, then our faith would be dormant. So I think all of this not always making perfect sense is actually a part of the plan. It's a part of us being required to have faith here on earth and having all of these other witnesses and confirmations of our faith help support that so that we can hold up our end of the bargain of not needing to have all of the answers right now. Because even now, we don't quite know how or when things are going to start to happen over in independent Missouri and Adam on Diamond, but we can certainly see how things have progressed over the years and that are leading to everything we know that will happen in that place. After this revelation, families began to move to Adam on Diamond. In 1838, one of the very first stakes of the church was formed in this location and about 200 homes were built. But as we will see in the next few weeks to come, that settlement didn't last very long. Things unraveled very quickly for the saints in Missouri past this point. 
All right, so let's move on to the ancient history of this location. Doctrine and Covenants, which we just passed, 107, 53 through 57. Three years previous to the death of Adam, he called Seth, Enos, Canaan, Mahalalil, <laughs> Jared, Enoch, and Methuselah, who were all high priests, with the residue of his posterity who were righteous, into the valley of Adam on Diamon, and there bestowed upon them his last blessing. And the Lord appeared unto them, and they rose up and blessed Adam and called him Michael, the prince, the archangel. And the Lord administered comfort unto Adam and said unto him, I have set thee to be at the head. A multitude of nations shall come of thee, and thou art a prince over them forever. And Adam stood up in the midst of the congregation, and notwithstanding he was bowed down with age, being full of the Holy Ghost, predicted whatsoever should befall his posterity unto the latest generation. These things were all written in the book of Enoch and are to be testified of in due time. Wow, that must have been an incredible event. Not only was Adam bestowing his last blessing, but the Lord appeared and called him Michael, the prince, the archangel, and declared to him that he was the head of the human family. And then he was full of the Holy Ghost and prophesied about the entirety of the future of the earth. Let's remember who the man Adam is. Adam was Michael before the world was created. He is Michael the archangel who led the armies in heaven to defeat Lucifer and ultimately cast him out. In Mormon doctrine, Bruce R. McConkie says, By his diligence and obedience there, as one of the spirit sons of God, he attained a stature and power second only to that of Christ, the firstborn. None of all of our father's children equaled him in intelligence and might, save Jesus only. Okay, so he helped the Lord create the earth under the direction of Elohim and Jehovah, who are the Father and the Son. He then was created as the first man on earth, then partnered with Eve, cast out of the Garden of Eden, and became the father of the human family. It was because Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden that our days of probation on earth began, and that a Savior was even necessary, all of which was a part of the Father's plan. Joseph Fielding Smith said, Adam did only what he had to do. He partook of that fruit for one good reason, and that was to open the door to bring you and me and everyone else into this world. For Adam and Eve could have remained in the Garden of Eden. They could have been there to this day if Eve hadn't done something. Adam and Eve were the first to embrace the gospel on the earth, and Adam was the first to receive the priesthood. Interestingly, Joseph Smith taught the priesthood was first given to Adam he obtained the first presidency, and he held the keys of it from generation to generation. He obtained it in the creation before the world was formed. So from the point of being cast out of the Garden of Eden, he and Eve shared the gospel with their family that was then created. And it is from then that all of this started here on earth. Adam died after nearly a millennium and has continued to be a great influence here on earth ever since. Robert L. Millet said, The prophet Joseph Smith explained that Adam presides over the spirits of all men, and so his ministry and administrative responsibilities would have continued beyond death's door. Just as the war in heaven continues, in a sense, into our own time, even so Adam's efforts to thwart and oppose Satan and the son of the morning have continued since Adam's mortal death. Adam, obviously, has a great role to play in the future, and currently, has a great role to play. I imagine him right now leading the legions of angels that are supporting the saints and fighting against Lucifer currently, just as he did in the pre-mortal existence. 
Prior to the official second coming of the Lord, in a preliminary appearance, he will meet with Adam and his righteous saints in the same place where Adam pronounced his last blessing to his posterity. And where is that? Adam on Diamond. Okay, so next I'm going to quote Robert L. Millet. In his talk, he quotes several prophets and then explains things far better than I could come up with. So I'm just going to mostly just quote what he says. He said, Joseph Smith said, Daniel in his seventh chapter speaks of the ancient of days. He means the oldest man, our father Adam, Michael. He will call his children together and hold a council with them to prepare them for the second coming of man. He, Adam, is the father of the human family and presides over the spirits of all men. And all that have had the keys must stand before him in this grand council. The son of man stands before him and there is given him glory and dominion. Adam delivers his stewardship to Christ, that which was delivered to him as holding the keys of the universe, but retains his standing as the head of the human family. President Joseph Fielding Smith offered the following explanation. This gathering of the children of Adam, where the thousands and the tens of thousands are assembled in judgment, will be one of the greatest events this troubled earth has ever seen. At this conference or council, all who have held keys of dispensations will render a report of their stewardship. Adam will do likewise, and then he will surrender to Christ all authority. Then Adam will be confirmed in his calling as the prince over his posterity and will be officially installed and crowned eternally in his presiding calling. Then Christ will be received as King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We do not know how long a time this gathering will be in session or how many sessions may be held at this grand council. It is sufficient to know that it is a gathering of the priesthood of God from the beginning of this earth down to the present, in which reports will be made, and all who have been given dispensations will declare their keys and ministry and make report of their stewardship according to the parable. Judgment will be rendered unto them, for this is a gathering of the righteous, those who have held keys and who hold keys of authority in the kingdom of God upon this earth. This will precede the great day of destruction of the wicked and will be the preparation for the millennial reign. In discussing the nature of keys restored to the earth by various angels, Elder Bruce R. McConkie noted that the holy priesthood will be used in eternity as well as in time. It is not only the power and authority to save men here and now, it is also the power by which the worlds were made and by which all things are. It could also well be that Adam, who brought mortality and death into the world, was also permitted to restore the power that brings immortality and life to his descendants. Christ, of course, in the ultimate sense, holds the keys of the resurrection and of raising souls into immortality. But, as we also know, it is in his practice to operate through his servants, and righteous persons will, in due course, participate in calling their loved ones forth in the resurrection. Um, mind-blowing. Now, it's important to note that Bruce R. McConkie said that it could well be on that last thing. But isn't it so interesting to think about that? Adam, who brought mortality and death into the world, was also permitted to restore the power that brings immortality and life to his descendants. This is just all so amazing to contemplate. And I sure hope, <laughs> I sure hope I get invited to be at Adam on Diamond when the Lord comes to meet with Adam. And I hope that you do too. I just, I just really want to be there. <laughs> Joseph Fielding Smith said, In this council, Christ will take over the reins of the government officially here on earth, and the kingdom and dominions and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the saints of the Most High. 
Until this grand council is held, Satan shall hold rule in the nations of the earth. But at that time, thrones are to be cast down, and man's rule shall come to an end. Then shall he give the government to the saints of the Most High. This council shall precede the coming of Jesus Christ as a thief in the night, unbeknown to all the world. These are pretty amazing times that we live in. This past conference, President Nelson urged us to take unprecedented action. He tells us about the strengthening of the foundations of the Salt Lake Temple and compares us to that effort. He says, We are sparing no effort to give this venerable temple, which has become increasingly vulnerable, a foundation that will withstand the forces of nature into the millennium. In like manner, it is now time that we each implement extraordinary measures, perhaps measures we have never taken before, to strengthen our spiritual, personal foundations. Unprecedented times calls for unprecedented measures. A thought I just had as I read that is, isn't it interesting that, you know, I just always thought about like the crazy things that will happen at the very end, the the earthquakes, the fire, the, you know, all of the big natural disasters that um, are supposed to precede the the coming of Jesus Christ. And I think, you know, he'll just, of course he can, but he'll just protect the, the areas that he wants to protect. So like, does the church really need to shore up the foundations of the Salt Lake Temple and make it so that it can withstand all of that? Can't he just do it? Can't he just protect it and make it protected? And so I think about that with us. If I'm, you know, if I'm doing pretty good and I'm saying my prayers and reading my scriptures, but, but I'm not going to the extent of sparing no effort, like President Nelson says, am I sparing no effort to sure up my own foundations? And ultimately that is my responsibility. It's not the responsibility of the Lord to coddle me as, as I come into this time, I was made for this time. I was supposed to be here at this time, and it's my responsibility to sure up my foundations, just as it's the church's responsibility to sure up the foundations of the Salt Lake Temple. I want to be worthy to witness and be a part of whatever is to come, and I know that you do too. Whatever I might experience in my lifetime, whether that could be something grand like meeting with the Savior at Adam on Diamond, or if it's just continuing to fight the good fight and gathering Israel, or fulfilling the small calling that I've been asked to fill, something is clear in how President Nelson has been communicating with us. He is speaking more and more frequently about the urgency of preparing for the second coming of our Lord. He is calling our time unprecedented. In 2019, at the dedication of the Rome-Italy Temple, he said this, This is a hinge point in the history of the church. Things are going to move forward at an accelerated pace of which this is a part. The church is going to have an unprecedented future, unparalleled. We are just building up to what is ahead now. If you type in the definition of hinge point, the first result on Google that pops up is this. A hinge point is the point where something literally pivots. It is the turning point where you are going to see a significant change take place. Whatever's happening right now, it's something. and. I guess my point in all of this is just that I want to encourage all of you and myself to take it to the next level, like President Nelson has encouraged us to do, so that we can all be participants on the Lord's side as we near the second coming of the Lord. Because that, the efforts that are going on right now, whenever whenever these big events will happen, the efforts that are going on right now, I can tell you for sure that this 
is ushering in the second coming of Jesus Christ. You were made for this. You were made for this time. You were made to be in the family that you are in right now. You are made to be a friend and to support the people around you. You were made to be a mother and a father of your children who are also made to be here and also made to be instruments in the hands of the Lord. They were made to be here. We need to remember that as parents. I do not need to fear for my children. They are supposed to be here. They were foreordained to be born at this time. And they have the stuff. They have the meat and the metal to handle what is to come. But we need to sure up our foundations and we need to teach them how to do the same. Let's repeat what President Nelson said. It is now time that we each implement extraordinary measures, perhaps measures we have never taken before, to strengthen our personal spiritual foundations. Unprecedented times calls for unprecedented measures. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Guys, this is such cool stuff. So share it. If it helped inspire you, if it helped make you excited for what is to come rather than just feel dread, share it with people around you. It's important that we know these things. It's important that we know the signs of the times and what will happen preceding the coming of our Lord. So share this episode and I will talk to you next week.